we are going to look at Luke chapter 18 today in a message called A Judge, a Widow, a Judger, and Really Healthy Vomit, okay? And all of these items are actually found in Luke chapter 18, and they're contained in two stories, two parables actually, that Jesus tells some of his followers. And we're going to read each of these, starting with the first parable, which is called, labeled in most of your Bibles, the parable of the persistent widow. Let me read this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That was only one of the things you can learn in this parable, as you'll see. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who would have been um, involved in the, in the synagogue at this time, too. Judges and religious leaders kind of, you know, interacted. Who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So this judge didn't have a real good heart. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. She was being mistreated. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, so I'm just callous and cold-hearted. He's admitting that. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come back and attack me. So basically, I'm going to make sure she doesn't do something mean to me, and she's driving me crazy, okay? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Which the answer is, of course not. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? <coughs> Excuse me. Wow, when you first read this parable, it's easy to think that it's all about just praying harder. It's like if we just will pray as persistently and consistently as the widow in this story, then finally we'll get what we want. That the heavenly vending machine in the sky that is God will finally open up and dispense what we've been asking for. It's kind of like Halloween when you were a kid, okay? When you went out and got your candy loot, your haul of candy, you would bring it back, and your parents, if they were like mine, you, you would say, hey, I want some of the candy, and they'd give you one or two pieces, but that didn't suffice, and you knew it. Because you had a whole, like, Safeway bag full of candy, and you couldn't just have one or two pieces. That's impossible as a child. So we, you would ask them for more, and they would turn you down. Well, that didn't cut it, and you knew you could break them, right? You knew in your mind you had the tools to break them, so you would repeat your request for more candy about every 40 seconds or so, and you would ramp up the whininess each request until you finally broke your parents and they just looked at you and said, have all you want, I don't care anymore, okay? That's what would happen. Is that what's going on in this parable? Are we being taught that if we just pester God enough, he'll finally give us what we want? I don't think that's what this parable is about. I think the real power in this parable is when we see how much God is like each of the characters in this parable. He's like the judge, and he's also like the widow, and we are also like the judge and like the widow. Check it out. First of all, God is like the judge. Judges back then, as today, are expected to dispense justice, to dispense goodness to people, and they're especially called back then to make sure that the most vulnerable were taken care of, the poor, the marginalized, the widows, the orphans. And at first, this judge is cold-hearted, and he is not doing his job, but finally he comes around, and he dispenses justice to this widow. Here's what makes this so remarkable. Women back then in this culture had very little social status, very low standing in their culture and in their society. 
they weren't even considered to be credible witnesses in legal proceedings. If you were accused of committing a crime and your only alibi was a witness that was a woman, you were screwed. They wouldn't even listen to that. They wouldn't even think that that held any weight whatsoever. So this widow has no case. She has no chance to get justice, and yet the judge gives it to her anyway. God is so much like that judge. He's not cold-hearted. He's like the judge in that he dispenses good to everybody, even those who have no case for it, which is all of us in this room, by the way. None of us can make a case for God's love. None of us can impress God with our own awesomeness so much that he says, well, I have to love you. I have to bless you. I have to bestow my favor on you because I look at you every day and you're just so amazing, okay? That doesn't happen. God loves us. That's what he does. He loves us anyway, even though we have no case to make to deserve that love. I was reading um, last week of some witch doctors. <laughs> it was at the end of this book. I read a lot, and I just happen to be reading about witch doctors in Uganda. And they do deplorable things. I was mortified. I was absolutely horrified in reading what witch doctors do, especially to young children in Uganda. The disfigurement, the mutilation, the killings that they do, all on behalf of their pagan religious rituals, it's just, it's truly a horror story. And one particular witch doctor got caught and arrested and sentenced to life in prison, which would have been a death sentence. He was going to die in prison. But miraculously, he collides to Jesus, into Jesus while he's in prison. He meets Jesus. And at first you're thinking, oh, what a wonderful story of God's grace and mercy. That's not what I thought at first. As a 23-year-old youth pastor veteran, my first thought when I read that was, are you kidding me? This guy did horrible things. He doesn't deserve anybody to love him. Not even you, God. Not even you, okay? That's your first thought because of all the wickedness that he did. But that's the point, okay? God doles out his goodness to people no matter how much good they've done or no matter how much bad they've done. It isn't about our ability to earn his love. It's about God's ability to love us no matter what, even when we have no case. And that witch doctor definitely didn't have a case for God's love, but in reality, none of us do. But he's good like that anyway. Second of all, God is like the widow. The widow in this story just wouldn't quit asking for justice to be done. We all want justice if we admit it, because we read the paper and watch the news, or we just walk around with our eyes open, and we see injustice everywhere. There's hatred, there's greed, there's racism, there's violence, there's oppression. And every once in a while, it overwhelms you to the point where you just want to shake your fist and go, enough, enough, I just want justice to be done. I want all this injustice to be gone. People have always craved justice like that. That's why when you read the Old Testament portion of the Bible, which is thousands of years old, many of the books were written by prophets. And these prophets were spokespeople for God. They had messages given to them by God to deliver to the people. And these messages they delivered in the books they wrote in the Old Testament weren't all self-help messages. They weren't about how to follow your own bliss. They were about justice. They were about how to be partnering with God and bringing about justice in an unjust world. And one of the famous, most famous lines is out of Amos chapter 5, and I'll put it on the screen. This is what the prophet Amos says. He says, let justice roll on like a river. God is the one who inspired these messages. 
He's the one who makes us crave justice on the inside. That makes him so much like the widow in the story. He is constantly pestering us and and bothering us to pursue justice. His message in this parable we just read to us is basically this. Listen, I'm not going to stop being all up in your business until you finally care how the people around you are being treated. That's the message of this parable. All right? Now, let's switch gears and see how much we are like these two characters. First of all, we are like the judge because as followers of Christ, we are called, we are invited to dispense goodness to people that don't deserve it. We're called to bless those who persecute us. We're called to love our enemies. And this is difficult and it's counterintuitive. To me, it feels like I'm handing out gift certificates to trolls sometimes, honestly. I'm going up to people and I'm thinking in my mind, I don't tell them they're a troll, but in my mind I'm thinking, you've been such a troll to me, you probably live under a bridge somewhere. You've been so horrible to me, but here's your gift certificate. I'm going to be good and kind to you anyway. It is so difficult, but that's our life. Like the judge, like Jesus, we are called to dispense goodness to those who have made no case to deserve us to be good to them at all. That's what we're called to do. Second of all, we are like the widow. We're very much like this widow in that we're invited to make our voices heard about justice. We're not a performance-based church here, and we do not believe that you have to do anything to earn God's love. In fact, we believe just the opposite. You can't earn God's love. We believe you are simply loved by God. But, and this is a very big but, because we're so loved by God, we get to do stuff. We don't have to do stuff. We get to do stuff. We get to participate in the repair of the world. We get to partner with God in bringing justice and helping it to roll on like a river in our world. What does that mean? It means this. All of us get to protest against injustice. We get to stand up for the oppressed. We get to take care of the poor and marginalized in society. We get to vote against systems and candidates that are trying to dehumanize people and rob them of their dignity. Inaction and apathy aren't an option for us as believers. I want to put up two quotes that mean the world to me about standing up for justice. The first one is from, um, I think it's from Desmond Tutu. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. What a great quote. We can't be apathetic. And the next one, I want to pop up there. Justice is what love looks like in public. That is so true. We have to ask ourselves, what is God asking me to do or to say? What is He bugging me to do or to say to bring about justice in the world, to make things right? For me, honestly, the last few years, it has to do with the LGBTQ community. That's what it has to do for me. I want to be a voice that reminds people in that community of their worth. I want to pastor a church that welcomes people from that community with open arms instead of rejecting them and shaming them. I want my life and my words and my deeds to be a source of healing for people in that community because of all the abuse and rejection and abandonment and shaming that they have endured. I cannot stay silent about injustices done to them. Just this week I met with a guy and he was almost, he was on the verge of a breakdown because he loves God with all of his heart and he's discovering that he's gay and he told his pastor that and his pastor said he had a demon because that's helpful, okay? And I, I got to tell him, no, you, you, 
you're gay, but you love God, and I love you, and you're welcome in our church anytime. We can't do things like that. And I will not condemn people from that community to be on their faith journey alone. I won't let it happen. I have to say something in defense of them. I don't know what God will ask you to do or what he'll ask you to say to bring about justice in this world, but trust me, as a follower of Jesus, he will give you an assignment. But let me warn you from personal history and from church history and from the scripture, it will not be easy. Your assignment will be quite difficult. For the widow in this story, she would have been mocked mercilessly by her community. They would have came up to her and said, stop bugging the judge. You're a woman. You have no voice. What you're asking for doesn't matter and nothing's ever going to change in your life. So just go home, you crazy lady. <laughs> okay? That's what would have happened to her. Okay? Think of people who have been a force for justice in our world. People like Martin Luther King or Desmond Tutu or, or Nelson Mandela or Jesus or Gandhi. All of them were mocked, beaten, in prison, and sometimes killed. Nobody said it would be easy, but it will be God. So I want us to repeat this line from Amos chapter 5, let justice roll on like a river. And I want you to say it with me, but as we say it, have in mind this, that you're going to be a part, a very important, crucial part, somehow, some way, sometime, in making that justice roll on like a river. So on three, you ready to say this with me? And say it with a little strength in your voice, too, because you're going to need that. <laughs> okay? One, two, three. Let justice roll on like a river. Amen. Second parable. This is called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let's read this parable, and we're going to spend two weeks in this particular parable, okay? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, which were despised people in this culture, okay? I fast twi twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. I tithe to the church, okay? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What a great line. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified by God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will end up being exalted. Wow, this is a great story. And this is a super interesting parable, and actually has different layers, like a good bean dip. Okay, We're only going to get to layer number one today, and layer number two is going to be covered next week. Layer number one has to do with vulnerability. What jumps out at me the most about this story is the tax collector's remarkable vulnerability. He did not pretend that he had his act together, just the opposite. He made a public confession about his failure and his need for mercy. That is remarkable. It takes so much courage to confess things, to confess our shortcomings, our failures, our sin, and our shame. But I've realized something. This tax collector was on to something when it comes to this confession stuff because the Bible mentions confession quite a bit, and that's for good reason. It's good for us. Confessing our sin and shame and failure and shortcomings is so good for us, and it doesn't sound like it would be good for us. Again, this is counterintuitive. To confess all that's wrong with me, 
sounds the opposite of good. It sounds bad. It sounds humiliating and embarrassing, but it's good for us. Let me tell you why. First of all, it frees us. Confession is such a relief. It's a freedom. Because when we get the sin and shame out in the open, okay, they are robbed of their power over us. I want to tell you a line. I hope you memorize this. Shame can't survive in the light. You get that? Shame can't survive in the light. Light and truth kill shame. That's why one pastor, he said it perfectly to me, and he's an author too. He said, confession is like really healthy vomit. That is so true. I know that's morbid and kind of junior high-ish of me. I'm sorry, but it's so true. Sometimes you just have to get the ick that you know is inside of you, and God knows it too. You have to get it out in the open, and then you're finally free of it. The second thing, shame, I mean, confession actually strengthens us. All too often, if you're like me, we try to hide our guilt and our sin and shame. We stuff it way down inside. We try to stuff it so far inside that we hope maybe God doesn't even notice it. I've got it so far down tucked in there, God probably won't see it either, okay? Or at least maybe he'll turn a blind eye to it. Look what the psalmist says about this action and what it does to us. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When we don't confess, when we just stuff our sin and shame inside, it actually makes us sick on some level, on a soul level. Our bones wasted away. It's such a bad idea to keep that stuff secret. When we confess our sin and shame, they no longer can sap our strength and our vitality. I couldn't help but think about the movie The Wizard of Oz when I was thinking about all this. If you've never seen The Wizard of Oz, Google it and watch it. Um, it's kind of creepy because flying monkeys, okay, they're creepy. But in this movie, there's this wizard that pretends to be the almighty, powerful Wizard of Oz. When in reality, all he is is kind of an old man, really nice old man, that's hiding behind a screen, pulling all these levers that does all these pyrotechnics to impress people. When he finally comes out from behind the screen and he stops pretending to be something that he isn't, it's then that he really helps people. It's then that he's truly powerful. And it's the same with us. When we finally walk out from behind the screen and we stop pretending that we're flawless individuals, we don't get weaker then, we actually get stronger. That's when we walk in strength the strength of that kind of honesty. And lastly, confession connects us. Many people think confession would probably distance them from God, that they would confess all their sin and shame, and then they expect God to respond by saying, whoa, TMI, too much information. I need like a tetanus shot and a shower after hearing your confession, okay? And then we would think that God would keep his distance from us because he would just view us as, like some sort of banana slug on the ground. I don't even want to be near you. The exact opposite is true. Confession doesn't draw us farther away from God. It draws us closer to God. Think of David in the scripture of David and Goliath's fame, and unfortunately David and Bathsheba fame, okay? He was called a man after God's own heart, which describes a person that's very intimate and in close connection with God. Was he called that because of his perfect behavior and his spotless morality? No. When you read through the Bible, this dude did some uber-awful things, okay? But he was so open and honest with God. He was always confessing to God what was inside of him. That's why in the Psalms, which are collections of rants and poems and poetry and song, wrote quite a few of those, and his are so raw and real and unedited and often R-rated. 
And that's a good thing. I remember going to counseling many years ago, and I was dealing with a lot of emotions. My, my inside just felt like a, a tornado constantly in my life. But I wouldn't admit it. And I was going to counseling because some very uncomfortable, what we would call sinful, unpleasant emotions, and specifically anger for me was coming. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I was going to counseling, but I was editing myself. She would talk to me, well, how do you feel about this? And I would try to give her the pastoral Tim answer, the right answer, the kind answer, the Christianese kind of answer. And she was having none of it. She was a good counselor. She goes, I'll tell you what I want to do. We're not getting anywhere with this. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to write about all the emotions you have that week, but I don't want you to write with your right hand, because I'm a righty. I want you to write with your left hand. I don't want you to use a pen or a pencil, so you can't erase it. I want you to use a crayon, and I want you to use a red crayon. I don't know what kind of weird trick she pulled on me, okay, but you try it sometime. If you're struggling to get in touch with reality of what's going on inside of you, when you write with your opposite hand, something happens, and you connect to a deep side of yourself, and when you write with a crayon, there's something just of pure, honest childlikeness that comes out, because it's really hard. I struggle to write with a crayon on my right hand, but with a crayon on my left hand, it was so slow, so I had time to think about what I really felt like and be honest with myself. And I engaged another whole side of my brain somehow in doing this activity. And pretty soon I was just angry scribbles. It was just like angry red scribbles. I was grabbing the crayon like, not like this, just like this, angry scribbles and swear words. Scribble, swear, scribble, scribble, swear, scribble, swear, 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 swear. <laughs> and I got done on it whoa, whoa, look what happened there. So I took it to her because she wanted to read it, and she goes, how'd it go? And I go, check out this artwork, sweetie. And she's, she read it, and she's like, okay. And she, but it was so cool. She accepted that, and she goes, don't you think God knew that was inside of you? It's okay to admit it to God. It's okay to admit it to yourself and to me because we can work with that honesty. Now we're getting somewhere. That's what I want to tell you about confession. When you confess to God, stop editing yourself. We all do it. Can you just please stop doing that? Don't edit yourself. Be raw and real and honest before God because He can work with that honesty. He will use that honesty not to to get away from you. He'll use that honesty to draw you closer to Him and to rid your life of the pretense that was away from God. Honesty doesn't keep you away from God pretending does. All right? So there you have it. Confession is so good for us. It's like an invasion of grace because when you confess and in that moment you know that you are fully loved by God even though you are fully known at the same time, that's a joy that's hard to describe to people. And I hope you all get to experience that. Let me pray for us.